It's time for the best 60 minutes of your life. This is the Homer Hour, broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's One Call That's All studio at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee. Alongside former Packer Brian Balaga, here's Emmy Award winner Homer. It's the Homer Hour. It is Monday. And that means it's the doctor of football, Brian Bulaga. And everybody, please understand, everything is important only as it relates to the Green Bay Packers as far as all the other playoffs came. Now, that's my rule, but I'm not the doctor of football. So we open with whatever is you want to start about the two games yesterday. Well, as you know, an all-encompassing of the Green Bay Packers here, it makes it hurt even more knowing that it would have been potentially Kansas City if we beat Detroit in the NFC Championship that we'd be seeing in the Super Bowl. That's what blows my mind about this because you beat San Francisco, right? You play Detroit. You know you can play with Detroit and beat Detroit. And then you win that game. You see Kansas City, a team you know you can play with and compete with that you've already beaten the Super Bowl. So when I said it cut me deep last week, it hurts even more right now. It hurts even more. Wow. So that's why this whole thing, like watching those games yesterday, listen, the first game, the Baltimore game, what a what a bad game. Baltimore looked absolutely horrendous. Um, bad game. Kansas City deserved to win that. And then you move on to the next game, and you're thinking this is so awesome for Detroit. They're finally going to do it. And then all of a sudden they get to halftime in the third quarter, and they just – forgot how to play football, then you and I will talk about, but the decisions Dan Campbell made in that game, just unbelievable, just unbelievable. And, and, and I actually feel really bad for Lions fans, the players, because there were some bad coaching decisions by him that I think cost that team the game. I don't, uh, I, I don't understand the field goals, and I know they always go for it on fourth down, and fine, I don't know if – you're on the team and you go, fine, that's what we always do. It's stupid sometimes when we do it. Every situation is different. But I don't think anything can be put in the same context of what they did at the end of the game to where they couldn't have a chance with the three timeouts to force a punt so that their offense could then, if they had to, and they would have, score a touchdown. I, I... I don't know yep. how anybody can dis- discuss anything else. At some point, the only thing you have of value are the three timeouts, meaning if your defense can stop them once, you get the ball back. I don't. Yeah, and, and... I, I, it makes no sense to me. It really makes no sense to me. And, yeah, we could talk about the field goals and he should have kicked those, which I think he should have. But, hey, you know, NFC Championship, it's his first time in one as a head coach, you know, goes for it on fourth. That's his thing. But the, But at the end there, like – you have your timeouts. You have the opportunity to kick the field goal, put your defense back on the field to make a play to at least give yourself a chance. And it was gone. Right, and even and, on and the it, last play, you pass the ball, so it's either a touchdown. I mean, and then you don't, you don't have to use a timeout there. Yeah, it, it just it was just bad. Like, I just don't understand it. And um, it's part of the reason why, like, and I hate to say this because they've obviously turned the corner as a team and a franchise, but it's why the Lions are the Lions, right? Like, these things continue to happen to them that shouldn't. And it's just like, man, how cursed is this team? And as much as I like Dan Campbell as a coach, and I think he's a great leader, and obviously I've never played for him, I can just only go by what the guys say and what I see. 
Um, great leader. Guys love to play from. These are just bonehead decisions. They're just bonehead decisions, and um, it cost them. And and you got to put some of the blame also on the team, right? They came out flat in the second half. They came out flat, um, twenty-four to seven lead. All they got to do is really score another touchdown, and this game is out of hand. And they just couldn't do anything. San Francisco stepped up. It kind of reminds me of the way this the game went against Green Bay, right? Green Bay was the better team that entire first half, and then all of a sudden, halftime comes. The adjustments get made by Shanahan and that staff. And all of a sudden, San Francisco starts to play better, and they start to kind of win these small situational matchups just like they did against Detroit, and you got your winner. And that's, I mean, you watch those two games, the Green Bay game and then the Lions game against San Francisco, and and obviously the Lions got out to a bigger lead, but they were very carbon copy of the way San Francisco played. And, you know, hats off to the 49ers and, and that coaching staff for kind of regrouping at halftime and getting their team ready to play because San Francisco, I mean, if they do that in the first half against Kansas city, I don't know if they're going to be able to hold on, but it's uh, it, 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 when I look at the playoff games, Homer, it makes me hurt that much more because green Bay can compete with any of the teams that were in it. We, we don't know about the Ravens because obviously they didn't play in the regular season, but we saw them against all the other teams and green Bay could have competed for a Super Bowl against the Chiefs. And that's what, you know, I look at, I take away from the weekend. As a player, how do you describe Patrick Mahomes having played with a great quarterback? I mean, you know, I, and, and, you know, maybe people watch the the Marvel movies. Maybe they don't, but I, I think he's literally like Thanos and he's inevitable. He's literally inevitable. And and no matter what you do, if they're bad, they they got receivers that can't catch the ball, they don't look like the Chiefs, they don't do – he's going to be there in the end. He's going to be there, and it's going to happen. Like, he's going to be in the AFC Championship game, and there's a good chance that he's going to win the AFC Championship game. And, and he is remarkable. And, you know, with everything that has been said about the Chiefs this year that – they're down. Their defense is the only thing keeping them in it, and which the defense did play phenomenally against Baltimore. But Baltimore shot themselves in the foot multiple times in that game. <laughs> I mean, uncharacteristic things from them. But Pat Mahomes, I mean, you can't – I mean, what was what this, his fifth or sixth at Super Bowl appearance or AFC Championship game? What was it, sixth? Uh, five? I, I, I don't have all the numbers. I don't, I, I don't, I don't but, need to I know mean, them. I just wish – I was smart enough to say, I'm just gonna, I'm just not gonna pick against him. I don't care who they're yeah. playing. I don't care what the game is. He'll figure out a way to win it. I don't know if that's, is it that? I think what I find the most fascinating is that no, like, and again, I kind of said it that no matter how the team is playing, he finds himself in situations that he puts the team on his shoulders to go to go win the game and he always delivers like in this in the worst scenarios he delivers and he's always under control he's always you know composed obviously we saw what happened earlier in the season when he went off on the refs with the buffalo game and everything like that like that was the one time you've ever seen the guy kind of lose his cool um he always seems like he's got a plan and, and he's in control of the situation um, and obviously, I've never played with him, and I'm not on the sideline with him or in meetings. But just from watching it on TV, the guy always seems like he is in control of the situation. 
and control the game. There's no time in a game where he seems like he can't come back or get something done and win the game. And um, that's what makes him special and the best quarterback in the league right now. I mean, it's, it's very clear and, um, you know, just impressive, impressive from him and Andy Reid and, and kind of that team. I mean, again, you say it, you could say it a million times. They did not look like a Super Bowl contending team uh, five weeks ago. And here they are go to Buffalo, uh, obviously, you know, do what they did against Buffalo, the missed field goal by Buffalo, but then going to Baltimore, a team that, you know, has looked unbeatable for most of the season and their defense goes into Baltimore, just absolutely rails Baltimore. I mean, Lamar Jackson couldn't really do anything. Um, just, you know, impressive. I mean, from top down for, for Kansas City. And I want to emphasize the other Kansas City teams that made the Super Bowl uh, did so because the offense was great and the defense was marginal. This year, their defense is among the elite. I don't know, one, two, or three. And their offense has been a struggle. But <laughs> yeah. you, you just you can't assume that's going to continue because of a homes. And I would say in the Super Bowl, I'm just taking Kansas City. I'm going to take Kansas City <laughs> every yeah. game until somebody beats Mahomes. And I think... Even if I'm wrong once in a while, I still think that's the safe way to go every game. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and look at it. Like, the way San Francisco is playing, like, I get it was the biggest comeback in a championship game ever or whatever it was, but, like, San Francisco can't play like that against Kansas City because they will get beat, and they won't be able to come back against Kansas City because Kansas City's defense is playing phenomenally, right? So if you give Pat Mahomes that cushion in a Super Bowl – you're not coming back from it. Like, it's just not going to happen. So, um, if it's, I mean, yeah, if it's me, I'm taking Kansas City in this thing. Like, and I don't care what comes out in the next week and a half or the right. the, the feel-good stories. I don't I don't care about them. I'm I going mean, with the home, Mahomes. Yes, exactly. And when, <laughs> when, you, when you have him and Andy Reid and the way the defense is playing, you can't pick against them. You can't. All right, I want to go back to Detroit just so everybody understands uh, the position. I don't know if I, I said the downs right. So it all came down to they had third and goal at the one, and they ran the ball. And if you don't get in, then you have to call timeout, meaning they used one of their three timeouts, and they needed to have them all to call after first and second and third down uh, once San Francisco got the ball. So the, the fourth down play, of course, after the timeout. But then it's too late. They score the touchdown on a pass, but you've already blown it. That means yep. you have to uh, you'd have to get the onside kick. And others have said it, and I would agree. They've made it almost impossible to uh, have success with an onside kick. So you're going third down, but you have to say we have to pass the ball. We cannot stop the clock. It's either a touchdown, and that's like yeah. Pop Warner. But I mean, you would. <laughs> You would think, right, especially, you know, the offensive coordinator is about to be the head coach somewhere, and he's calling the plays. You're thinking for Dan Campbell, smart head coach, right? I think everyone agrees with that. He's a good head coach. Um, and then the offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, who's about to be a head coach somewhere and is going to be making these decisions for a team, would think, hey, we got to put it in there because if we, if we have to blow a timeout here, and even if we score on fourth down, game's over. It's over. Like, it's over. Like, because, yeah, you're right. It's impossible to get an now, I want Now, I want to go back because I, I looked it up. They had first and 10 at the 24, 
after they had a long pass for, for 25 yards with 139 left. Now, you could kick it then, or you could try get in the end zone once, but you're giving, you got 139 left, meaning if your defense can stop in three plays, your team has an, uh, an easily enough time, even without any timeouts. Yeah, but the first exactly. and ten, then they got second and two, then they're down to one. Th- it, it, there were a number of options, and he not only he not only didn't do that, he did the worst. It's like you can't do this, right? I mean, you've had coaches yep. say this, right? You can yep. do whatever you want. You can't do this. You can't do this. And clearly, that wasn't uh, that wasn't their approach on uh, on third and goal to one when they ran the ball and everything yep. else. And we've all the decide to kick or not is it's like on a scale of one to ten, they're ones. This is a forty. I've I'm obsessing. You wouldn't think this possible. I'm obsessing as much on this, even maybe more so than Jordan Love throwing that pass on first down. <laughs> By the way, he was at the Marquette game, and they said, "Why didn't you go up and ask him?" I don't. <laughs> Why didn't you? Why I, didn't you? Well, because we're he's he's front row. <laughs> he's front row, Brian. We're halfway up. It would okay. take me 20 minutes. But if somebody wants to set up a meeting, I'll be happy to ask him. And you know why it's easy for me to ask him? Why? Because I think he's really good. Yeah. If I thought he wasn't any good, I would say, this This is the sign. This is the sign to tell you that this guy's never going to do it under pressure. And I'm exactly the opposite. I think he's shown he has everything. And so I'm more like, I just, I just got to know. You know, if Einstein on two and two puts down six, I, I want to go ask him, like, how did you get to six? I yeah. think I will believe that he forgot what down it was. That's what I'm going to think for that oh, moment. I mean, <laughs> it was first down. It wasn't like it was third. Correct, so. but <laughs> you're, you're getting in the middle of the play. You know it's first down, and then you're getting in the play, and there's so many things going on, right? Should I pass, not pass? I think for that moment, if, if you've got a better explanation, uh, Brian Bulaga. <laughs> can... I, I don't. I don't okay. have a good explanation. You know, like, I, I, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I, I mean, again, and we talked about it, and you said there's no way. I mean, I think he blacked out. Okay. That too. I mean, yeah. And that's just what I think happened. And, you know, I, and it's just one of those mistakes that he'll remember, and I don't think he'll – I don't think he'll commit that, you know, as, as what did he say, the crime of a century for a quarterback right. or whatever he said. I don't think he'll do it again. I so agree I, think- I agree with you totally. And I also think that he would say privately, I, I, I can't believe I did that. No, yeah. <laughs> I can't. 100%. I, I can't. I don't. Uh, I'm not even going to say everybody has that in their athletic experience because I don't know that they do given the level of of excellence you talk about the players you know playing in the NFL I don't think there was ever a point where you went out on the field and forgot to have your cleats on I mean no, there yeah. there are just some things that are so basic <laughs> but um yes uh for anybody out there you you want to set it up I'll be more than happy to to ask him he's also he also seems to me he would be very easy to ask because <laughs> I don't think he would use the f word like uh John Macrono did one time when I asked him a question I think he would you know, he would, as he handles everything, handle it with poise and. Um, I think so. And you I, know, he he seems like the type of guy. And obviously, I got to meet him when I was in Green Bay um, yeah. for that Chargers week. 
he he seems like a very composed guy, right? He's laid back. Um, he's confident in himself, obviously. I mean, he, he he's uh, he's developed and he's earned that confidence within himself. But I, I just I don't see him getting rattled by the question. You no, know what I mean? I think like I, just don't I, think I can't. To be honest with you, I, I can't believe I did that. I'll. Yeah. And then that that ends it. But I don't think he'd say, I'm not talking about that or why do people bring that up or uh, but we'll, we'll see. I I think at some point he will address it. I think so too. I, well, I think I think it's going to be asked eventually. On to the Green Bay Packers. They need a defensive coordinator and I want to ask you about assistant coaches, the ones who became coordinators. How much do you know the divi- your position coach versus the coordinator versus the head coach? The dynamics of those different tiers. Brian Bulaga, yep, it's his show, the Homer Hour, second quarter. I know we're late. Next. <laughs> The Homer Hour with Brian Bulaga or Brian Bulaga's Homer Hour, however you want to uh, say it. Go beyond your field of study and get a world-class education and leadership by joining the U.S. Army ROTC as an Army officer. You'll work side-by-side with peers who support your growth, and you'll become a role model, mentor, and decision-maker. In any environment, at any scale, it's a challenging path. But along the way, you'll sharpen your skills and show yourself and those around you exactly what you're capable of. Decide to lead at GoArmy.com slash officer or contact your local Marquette University Army ROTC program to get started. Let's get to the defensive coordinator. All right, first of all, what's the dynamic of you're an offensive lineman, how much time you spend with your position coach relative to the offensive coordinator? You know, know, this is something that you know when when you go into the nfl dynamic and obviously in college it was way different because you spent a bunch of time with the offensive coordinator at least i did at iowa um and your position coach obviously more with your position coach than the offensive coordinator but you were in a lot of offensive group settings with um you know the coordinator in college you know getting a lot of information but when you go to the nfl um you're with your position coach 95% of the time, right? You go into the offensive meeting room, you go over the plan for the week on Wednesday, then you go in the offensive meeting on Thursday, you go over what's getting installed that day, then you do it again on Friday, you install short yardage, goal line, et cetera, et cetera. And that's about it. And then obviously, you know, on Saturday night before the game, the offensive coordinator will go through the first 15 or his first thoughts. And that's about it. So you look at meeting time with the offensive coordinator, you're probably, we're looking maybe an hour total with the offensive coordinator throughout the week, which isn't a lot of time. But you go to the defensive, or not the defensive, but you go to your position coach, you're with him majority of the day. Majority of the day, majority of the meeting time, you are with him in the meeting room going over everything, watching tape, breaking down the plan, um, watching opposing tape. So it's kind of... Like you don't, you know, the offensive coordinator, but you're not spending much time with them. Now the, the position group that he's in a bunch, obviously is the quarterback room. He's always with the quarterback, um, going, going into meetings with them, breaking down everything with them, obviously with the quarterback coach. And I would assume, especially with the green Bay structure, LaFleur's in with the quarterbacks a bunch. So, um, you know, with my experience, You know, we've had multiple, you know, we had multiple offensive coordinators in my time in Green Bay. You just didn't spend much time with them. And obviously, I think the 
offensive coordinator that I spent the most time with because he was an offensive line guy was Joe Philbin early on. He came into the O-line room a bunch because he was the O-line coach for a while. And I would imagine Steno does that a little bit now because he was the O-line coach. But um, that was probably the most I spent with an O coordinator was Joe Philbin. And that wasn't even that much. You know, he would maybe pop in on Thursdays to watch a certain run period or, or a blitz pickup from the Thursday practice. Um, and that was about it. So you spend majority of your day with your position coach um, going over everything. If I had, you know, and things may be different in other places, but in Green Bay, that's how it was done. And then when someone asks you about how good your offensive coordinator is privately, upon what, and we'll get to the defense, because clearly that's different because they don't have a quarterback, so I don't know how they break down their time. But how do you judge... And you don't have to mention any names. You can if you want. How do you judge whether an offensive coordinator is good or bad, given how little you're with them? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a good question because um, you get a feel for – and obviously, I mean, this is – it was different in Green Bay because Mike McCarthy called the plays. Right. You know what I mean? And so did Matt LaFleur. So, you know, you looked at kind of how the, the structure of – you know, the organization was, or at least the coaching staff was like, yeah, we had the offensive coordinator, but McCarthy called the play. And you're not with either of them. No, no, not at all. Like, so that's, that's how you, as an offensive lineman, you don't really know besides when you do get to interact um, with those guys in those group settings. Obviously I thought very, very highly of Joe Philbin. I thought very highly of Tom Clements. I, I felt, you know, I thought very highly of, uh, Nate Hackett as well. Right, hold on, let me coaches. let me interrupt. Why? I right, take them one at one at a time. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought. All right, let's say Joe. All right, Joe Philbin. You say I like why? Why? What makes you like him? Oh, I thought he. I mean, very intelligent, very smart football wise, and and why as an offensive lineman, I was very um, drawn to him as an offensive coordinator because he coached our position and he was very knowledgeable with our position group. So. You know, when he was doing, you know, normally when you go into these team meetings, everything's very wide receiver and quarterback oriented and they're going over routes and they're going over coverages. And with Joe Philbin, it was very, you know, he would do all that. But then there was a lot of offensive line built into it because we can have all these fun routes and things, but something has to happen up front for all these fun things to happen behind the defense. So um, he was very O-line centric because. That's what makes the machine work. So while some in some groups, you know, you'd sit there and, you know, the offensive coordinator goes over all the passing routes and this and that, and the old linemen just kind of sit there and watch. And we're not really involved, but we're seeing what's going on. We're seeing how, you know, we're going to attack a defense from a passing game perspective. But Joe Philbin always brought the linemen into it. it all right, so he's organized. He's bringing the offensive linemen. But during the game, like, he's not even calling the plays. So is no. it? During the game that that they run the plays that you'd work during the week. I mean, how do you assess? Does your opinion of Joe Philbin get better or worse, or any offensive coordinator during a game based on what they're doing? Because you you know he's not even calling the plays. So yeah, he's not calling the plays. But you know, in Green Bay, the O coordinator because he wasn't the play caller was always up in the box, right? He was always up in the booth or box, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he was obviously communicating with not just the offensive line coach and the position coaches, but with the head coach on what he's seeing from up top. And um, 
you could normally tell when there would be a shift in, you know, ideas and what was being thought and what was being called because, you know, if something wasn't working and then there was a drastic change in play calling through, you know, the first half or whatnot, you normally think, hey, that's probably coming from up top that he's changing and he's giving the head coach, um, you know, just some advice. on How often does that occur in a typical game? You know, I think it just depends on how the game's going. Right. Like, I think wow, yeah. um, if ev- if everything's clicking along just fine, it's not happening because, you know, the the play callers in a groove, things are going well. Um, obviously, he's still getting feedback from the box and, and from the offensive coordinator that's up top about what's happening, what's going on, what he's seeing, um, things like that. But if things are clicking along fine, I mean, hey. Plan's going, you know, going smoothly. Everything's going according to plan right now. But All right. All right. So if uh, somebody contacted you from another team, you know, yep. friend, and said, we're thinking of hiring Joe Philbin, or you can go over each of them, what would you be apt to say? Yeah, he's well-organized. Yeah, he's smart. Yeah. what? I don't know what the what the range are. What? The, somebody wants to hire Joe Philbin. What, what are you going to say? You get two sentences because I'm busy. I, because <laughs> I'm busy. I, I would say yes. I think he's a, a great man to have in an offensive meeting room. I think he is a great leader. Um, and I think he's a great communicator as well. And I think he, um, is able to explain things and break things down for every position group because he's had experience in every position group with the tight ends at Iowa, with the offensive line at Iowa, with the offensive line in the NFL. So he's had experience throughout an offense, um, being able to teach and explain things and put together a good plan. And I think he's very level-headed as well, right? He's very calm, um, organized, and and I think that's what you want. Then, you know, you flip it, you know, you kind of do 180. Then you go to a guy like Nathaniel Hackett, super high energy, super kind of, you know, he's a very funny guy, very, you know, brings humor into the offensive meeting room, kind of likes things laid back and chilled. Likes guys to be loose, relaxed, having a great time. Not saying that Philbin didn't, but they were just two different styles, right? So uh, Hackett was able to reach players a different way than what Joe Philbin was. And and it's um, you kind of look at the way the NFL's going and the guys that are coming out of college and what they're used to and what fits certain players and certain teams and who 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 is your personnel, right? Like who are the guys you have? Do you have a more veteran-based group if you do? Joe Philbin may be probably your better pick. If you got a very young group that, you know, is used to things a certain way, a guy like Nate Hackett may be down your alley. So like it's all based on to me the guys you have in the building and what coaching staff and what coaches suit your personnel best. And I think that's where I get to on a lot of this is you have to bring in coaches that suit your team, right? Suit your personnel. So they're young. I mean, the de- the offense is really young. Is the do you consider the defense that the Packers have now young or not really? I, or- I don't think that they're young, right? I, I think you got some young guys in the secondary, right? But I think if you look up front, they're a veteran group, right? Like, yeah, they have a couple young interior guys in Slayton and and uh, uh, I'm thinking the Clark Brooks. Or Clark, no, Kenny's a vet, right? right like Kenny's yeah. a veteran, but like Rashawn Gary's a veteran, Preston's a veteran, Van Ness is young, Wyatt's uh, young, but, yeah, Wyatt's young. But then you look at the linebackers; they're starting to get, you know, obviously right. Campbell. We don't know if he'll be there or not, but Campbell's a veteran, and obviously, so the you other can middle, literally go either way. Yes, yeah, I think you can go either way, and it's all how you look at what th- how this coach can relate to your personnel. Um, 
and obviously I'm not saying that an older coach can't coach younger guys. I'm not saying that because obviously that's that can happen. That's not a big deal. Andy Reid has a fairly young team as well. Um, if you look at them and he's doing just fine, right? Like, so that's not a big deal. But I think you look at just how the personality of the coordinator fits your group. And I think that's the way I would approach. If I'm a head coach or if I'm a general manager, I'm getting the personality of this defensive coordinator that Green Bay's looking for. And I'm seeing how does it match the personality of my defensive room? Um, obviously, his scheme and things of that nature come into play and, and kind of how he's going to deploy the defense. But you have to make sure that the personality and kind of um, the leadership skills of this defensive coordinator fits your group because you can't say, well, we're going to make the players fit him and because you can't go out and change a whole defense. There's no way you can't do it. It's impossible. you got guys under contract with a lot of money guaranteed and things, and there's, there's a salary cap. So you have to be able to fit um, a coach with players and make sure that um, they're able to gel. And, and obviously I experienced that multiple times, but obviously from the, from the change from Mike McCarthy to Matt LaFleur, obviously, you know, as an older guy, one of the older guys on the offense, Aaron and I, and obviously I think on an offensive standpoint, if you looked at the veterans there, it was probably air or Mercedes, Aaron and me were the oldest guys. And you, you know, the questions probably were there. Can, can I, as a player fit, you know, well with LaFleur and what he wants to do and, and kind of their thing. So um, obviously I fit really well. I, I loved playing for Matt, but you know, there's those questions of can guys fit certain coaches and, and can these guys work well together? Can they, you know, do the personalities match? And these are, you know, cause at the end of the day, this is, this is a, you know, these are, it's a game of personalities and relationships and guys have to be able to get along and understand each other on a personal level. So this thing works on the field, right? You can't have guys that don't agree with each other or see things completely different and have it work. It just, it's impossible. So um, it, it, the NFL is a unique business like that because it is a thing of relationships and making things work, not just on the field, but off the field with meeting rooms and everyone's seeing things clearly and eye to eye and being on the same page. So that's why this defensive coordinator search is really intriguing to me, right? Like, because it's interesting to see which route they're going to go and the style and personality that they bring into the building. And obviously Matt, I think has a great gauge on the team and the guys that he has and, and who's going to fit. But, you know, I'm excited to see which route he goes because, yeah, he can go with a veteran coach for sure. He can definitely go with a veteran coach. I think that'd be good for him. He could also go younger because I think, um, you know, having a younger guy that maybe doesn't have as much experience but understands the dynamic of of the team and the, and the, the defensive players that we have, um, it could be great. So it's a very intriguing to me. And, and, I, and obviously we don't know which way this is going to go, um, but – I'm excited to see, you know, the decision that he makes. Brian Bulaga, the doctor of football, the third quarter. Yeah, we're behind again. I don't care. This is just good stuff. How young can you be? Can you hire someone 32 years old to be the defensive coordinator? Third quarter with Brian Bulaga next. As it relates to the 
relates to the Green Bay Packers, and they're looking for a defensive coordinator. What is the one kid? 32, the kid from the Broncos? Can you have someone that young? Is there is there too young? Or, you know, you've been around coaches, assistant coaches. Oh, I want to get to this one first, and that is, do you, can you tell who's going to move on and be better? Like, this guy's a position coach. It could be any of them when you're going, that guy's going to be somebody. That, yeah, there's a coordinator. There's a head coach. Or do I just make that stuff up? No, I, you know, I think you can you can get a good um, a good vibe from a coach. Like, for me personally, obviously, um, being in the building with a lot of good coaches through my time in Green Bay, you could really get um, – a good idea of who's going to be able to move on or, or be able to step up the role. Like a perfect example would be Alex Van Pelt, right? He was the quarterback coach for Aaron for a long time. And obviously he's an offensive coordinator now. I don't know. He was with Cleveland and with Cincinnati and things like that. But um, I thought he was a very good coach. And you're like, this guy, he, he's going to be able to be an offensive coordinator or whatever it may be one day. And um, who I always thought would be a great head coach and, you know, he's never gotten the opportunity, and, and it's unfortunate because I think he would be would, would be my old line coach, James Campen. Uh, he, uh, who I'm pretty sure everybody still under- thinks the world of him. Yeah, who who I think is still under contract in Carolina. I don't think he's been released from his contract. But I mean, they uh, talk about him as being a great coach, and I mean, yeah. If yeah, I had because- to pick somebody who hasn't been a head coach that I would have thought would have been a head coach by now, maybe just. Maybe he just is tough on everybody, and isn't gonna. Uh, you know, I, I just my, my thing. You know, obviously, I don't. You don't know the aspirations of every person. Now, would does James Campen want to be a head? Does not matter? I Enough people know. around him would say, "I want, I want to see you as a head coach." Right? Don't you think that? You think you're not the first person to talk? They talk about him in a different way. You're not the first yeah. one. Yeah, because he is a great person to be around, and he's a great leader of men, um, and I, and he's obviously very smart football-wise. He's been in the game for a long time, um, and I think it's just about opportunities, right? Like, I would have loved to see him be the interim head coach when Carolina, you know, moved on from right, right? Like, I th- it would have been great, but they went in a different uh, route, and obviously they didn't use the defensive coordinator as the interim head coach. And now, you know, they went a different direction with their hire. But I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's what they did. But I, I think James Campen, I mean, I think the world of him, obviously, but I, I think he would be a, a great guy to to get a shot. I, I got to ask you about it. He seems like the person they say as a teacher is like a really tough teacher, but everybody brings him up, and you wouldn't think they'd bring up somebody if he was that tough. Is it fair to say that first and foremost, he's tough on the people who are in the offensive line. Oh, he is for sure. He expects a lot of, out of his group, and, and he is hard on them, and, and he has very high standards, and obviously has very high standards from the groups that he's built and coached throughout his coaching career. So he expects a lot, but he's fair. And that's the biggest thing is that he's tough, but he's fair. Um, and yeah, there were times in Green Bay where I'm like, "Can't be. There's no way we can do this or this." And um, you know, you're, you're can you give me we, an example? Just well, there would be times like in in pass protection, like we, we we'd be watching um, blitz pickups and things of that nature, and um, you know, we're going over you know pressure packages from teams, and he'd be like, "Hey, you need to." 
be able to see through this, come off your defensive end and pick up this blitzing safety when he hits it from 10 yards and he hits it really late and you're already engaged in your defensive end. You know, he's the hot man. You got to let, you know, disengage from your DN and pop off on this safety because he's the most dangerous coming through the B gap. And you're like, can't be. How am I going to see <laughs> that safety if I'm already engaged with the DN? He goes, you got, you know, you got to keep your eyes up. You just got to, and you're just like, okay. And you know what? Like that was the expectation, and you did it. Like I did it. Like that's just what you're expected to do. And and you know, you go to the you know practice room, you're like, see, I knew you could do it. You just got to keep your eyes up. <laughs> it's just like, do you think you, there are? And I, I mean, I just have this fascination because I, I'm old enough, uh, like when he played, right? Yep. Um, that that he just that a player would say I'm as good as I am in the NFL and I owe it to James Campen. Is that yeah, too strong I, a statement? You know, I don't think it's too strong, and I, and I think guys, especially in the NFL, like listen, every guy that's there and that's good in the NFL, um, they have ability, right? And and they're talented, and they've earned the right to be there and to be a good player in the NFL. But there's something about um, James Campen that I always think separates him is because you wanted to play for him. You wanted <laughs> to have success on the field because you wanted to make that guy proud. Like, and that's, and you know, that sounds very Harry high schoolish, but it's true. Because, well, because like, I would think you would say, I, I got to play well, cause I don't want to go in there on Monday. And, but you don't, but you don't put it that way. And others haven't, it's that you want to play for him. Not that you're scared or you just don't want to be embarrassed on Monday. Yeah, no, it, it had nothing to do with that. You just didn't want to let him down. Wow. And like, and that's the biggest thing is, is that he made the culture in that O line room so like the culture was so good that you just didn't want to let. Down, so if you, you know, found a coach as a as a that you wanted to hire, like where the Packers are as a coordinator, that would be one thing that would really stand out to you if he had created that same relationship. Absolutely. Okay. You 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 want to you want a coach that. Um, makes the players want to play for him. So he's able to create these relationships and bonds off the field, make these players. I'm not saying like friends, right? Like, cause like there's a difference between being friends and then, you know, you know, it's your coach, you know, no one has, has ever said that about camping. Yeah. <laughs> it, like no, but nobody, you know, no one's looking for a best friend, but you guys have to mutually have a respect and, and everything for each other. And the way I always looked at it is like, obviously you know, you go into a game, you never want, I never wanted to let down TJ, right. Corey, Sitton, and Dave, you, you know, you want to play well for your teammates, but there was that factor of like, I don't want to let Campy down. Like he cares so much and he, he loves his players so much. And he puts so much into this every week that I don't want to let that guy down. All like, right. So I got it. We this... got a break here. Cause I want to get to the fourth quarter. This is uh, the Brian Bulaga hour with Homer as the assistant, otherwise known as the Homer hour, because I got another question about James Campen to the fourth quarter next final segment with Brian Bulaga the Brian Bulaga homer hour I think if I was looking for a defensive coordinator I'd go to James Campen James anybody you'd suggest does that make any sense I'm not saying they're going to do that but if I find somebody that's so good or think they're so good I would respect their opinion based on who they've gone against or who they've interacted with Oh, I mean, I can assure you that uh, Matt LaFleur is probably doing something of that nature, right? Like he, 
obviously he's gone against a lot of D coordinators and knows coaches throughout the league. And, and, and obviously so does the staff, right? Like obviously the green Bay staff, they have respect and they got buddies and, and they've gone against a lot of D coordinators in their time. So, you know, that dialogue is going on like, Hey, like who do we all, um, whose scheme and, you know, who did we always hate going against? Right. Like who did we, you know, hate going against from a from a defensive standpoint that gave us problems? And then you dive into that a little bit more and start asking people that know him or have coached with him. How is he? You know, like things like that. So this is all I would imagine part of the process of finding a defensive coordinator and and these offensive and defensive coordinators is, you know, whose scheme did you hate going against? Right. Like meaning it was good. And then you start finding out more about this person from people that you know that have been around him. Like, All right, let me I'll, ask you this, because I'm being like, forget scheme. It's the players. Like, when you played, were there defensive schemes, or was it more the players that that team had that created the problems versus the scheme? Well, you know, the perfect example that I always go to is the Vic Fangio defense. And that's very relevant for us, right? Because we're talking about Joe Barry. and and Well, I'm also talking about Christian Parker. We'll get to his name, the 32-year-old. And I think he was hired by Fangio a few years ago. But anyway. So we always look at the Vic Fangio scheme because it is a very good scheme, right? But we've always, I've always looked at it as it never really gets quite run that well unless it's Vic Fangio calling it, right? Like, because... There's something to the way he sees the defense that he's obviously, you know, kind of built and all these, you know, disciples of his have come off of this scheme, but it never really seems to go that well unless he's got his hand in it. Um, But obviously there's always an outlier, but I look at Vic Fangio as always that same way. Like he's had great players. Obviously we look back to when he was in Chicago, obviously, but also San Francisco, um, they were great players, right? Navarro Bowman, Willis, Justin Smith, Alden Smith. I mean, the guys were amazing. But they had players like that before him, right? They had those same, a lot of those same guys. And the, the defense team. wasn't as good. Yeah. And it wasn't as good. Bring in Vic Fangio and his scheme, and all of a sudden, these guys can't even be scored on. So I kind of look at it at it that way, and you could look at it the same way uh, Pete Carroll and his defenses in Seattle. Um that cover three and, and all that. Like, they had a lot of those same guys on the team. Right. And then Pete Carroll. So, but then how do you know Christian Parker? Fangio's probably got grandkids older than Parker. So you you can't have an answer to that because he hasn't no. been a coordinator. But to me, you could have what you talked about camping in that I don't care what age somebody is, if they've created that environment that you said where these people want to play for him, it would be more, even more amazing to me if someone could do that at that age. I agree. And you know what? Like, there's a chance. Like, I, again, you may know more about him. I don't, I don't know. Much about I don't know, him, I don't know so, anything about him. I'm just yeah. going by. I saw that he's 32, and I go, man, you're like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he. I'm older than him. Yeah. You're like, way <laughs> older than him. <laughs> like, it's, it, it, it's wild because. There's a chance that there's guys on that, you know, on that defensive roster when they line up. If he is the guy that are older than him, who's the right? youngest? Like, who's the youngest assistant coach uh, you were around? Where age was? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, head coaching wise, Matt Lafleur was the youngest head coach, right? Maybe or maybe Staley was younger than I don't know. I mean, no, but I right, but so was that ever? Uh, maybe it's different with a head coach. Is that ever a factor? Or, you know, you know, was the 
Can it be a factor, or do you not? Is that not even relevant? Given well, depending on know, the leadership ability someone has. Yeah, I think the. I mean, if the if the guy's a great leader, then guys are going to buy in. But I can assure you, early on, um, guys are going to be going. This dude's thirty two years old, and I'm thirty three. Like, so you know, how is this guy going to teach me something or put me in the best position when I've been in this league longer than him? Um, which is. You know, hey, guys have questions and veteran like Preston Smith, for example. I don't know how old Preston is, he's, but I imagine I imagine he's close to thirty-two years old. Um, so you have to really down. like someone because that's a part of the package. Yeah, hey, you got to get you got to get veteran guys to buy in, right? So but I mean, if you get, get a more veteran defensive coordinator, you don't have to deal with that to the same degree. Probably not. I mean, no, it's telling probably. me that if Christian Parker's the guy, and I don't know that he is, and after talking to you, I kind of doubt that he is with the age issue. You, the, some guy would have to just be off the chart special to say, I don't care if he's 25. This guy's the man. Because you're accepting just what you talked about. That would have to be addressed. It would take some time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to make sure that he is the guy. And obviously, like I said, Matt LaFleur's got a really good gauge on people and how he, you know, his coaching staff. But like, you got to be, you got to be real with yourself. He's 32 years old, doesn't have any, you know, play calling experience so you don't want to say that he doesn't have the knowledge of other people but you got to be really sure that this guy is ready to not just take that you know leap that he's ready to call plays but also lead an entire defense so um it's an interesting name that i've obviously you've heard floating around i just heard it today um but you know the thing is i look at is i trust matt lafleur to make these decisions like i think matt lafleur is a really good gauge on people um, and you know, if he thinks that this young guy's the best, then Hey, I say, go for it. But- All right. I, I think he's, I think everybody has to give him a ton of respect for the young team that he have and how much they struggled. And he, whatever his, his, uh, I called him soft. Now I say smart, but either way, everybody has to have immense respect for the ability to turn this season around with such a young team. But I'm going to ask you as the last question, what everybody's going to ask, Everybody now has more confidence in him. Then how did he hire Joe Barry? Yeah, well, I mean, I've, like let's but let's be real. I mean, J- Joe Barry was a very well respected position uh, coach. Position coach, yeah. yes, position coach. And I get it; he had right. his times at D coordinator. But you look at where he was, where they, what you know, it, it was Detroit, right? Am Teams I, were I, really bad. Yeah, they were really bad. So like. It's kind of like, you know, Jason Wildy, you know, who we all love, you know, loves uh, the guy from Carolina. Right. But you look at the Carolina defense, they were yeah. one of the worst in the league. Right. But I, like, I would say this about, like, I, it always seems team switch. Like, he went with an older guy. Now I could see LaFleur going with a younger guy. And that's just a guess. They're all guesses. But that's kind of seemed to be the way people do things. But but we'll see. Um, but yeah. could. It yeah. did. It didn't. It didn't work out. And if he adjusts, I'll say this: if Lafleur adjusts as well to the change in defensive coordinator as he did to his team this year, this guy's going to be really good. Yep, I'm with you. I'm All with right. you. I, I, I think, I think who he chooses next. Obviously, there's going to be a break-in period, and guys have to adjust to the new scheme and, and the new play caller. But I think who he picks next, I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be all right. And it, I think how good this team and the offense is, he's got a he, – and he may have had the same standard anyway. But his view of how good this team can be has to be much 
stronger and higher now than last season in terms of he's looking for somebody who can help him win a Super Bowl. He's got to believe yeah. this offense and the quarterback is that good, right? Absolutely. It's not if. You mean, yeah, you've seen the team you got. You know on offense you can compete with anybody. So now you got to just find – because the centerpiece, if you have it, is always the quarterback, right? It's always the quarterback we're looking at. You know, the Chiefs right now, and everything's about, you know, what complements Pat Mahomes the best. You looked at, um, you know, the 49ers are in a different situation with Brock Purdy, but, hey, the defense complements that offense tremendously. So you're you're trying to find the D coordinator that complements and the defense that complements Jordan Love and that offense the best, and and, and I think Matt LaFleur is going to find it. Thursday, we will chat again. I think they might have somebody by Thursday, but... Uh, I've already made a number of guesses. I don't have any idea. <laughs> and it really doesn't matter. I mean, no, at, at, at the, I mean, hey, he's going to pick who he's going to pick, and, you know, that means we get more to talk about. And take and as to, much time as you want. Yeah, we get to dissect it, and, and that's what I love about it. That's why I love being on this side of the uh, on the aisle, because I get to wait and see and, and, and come up with all these different scenarios, and then when it happens, we can talk about it, and that's that's what makes it fun. We'll talk Thursday. Thanks, Brian. All right. The doctor of football, Brian Bulaga.